Kia ora everyone, welcome back to the Side Hit Podcast, I'm your host Pat Tony and today with us we've got Pat Nepia. welcome Pat. Oh, kia ora Tony, thank you for having me, sitting in the hot seat today, uh, a lot of awesome people have been in this seat, so it's yeah. a total privilege my man. Oh sweet, and you've been down for a bit, on a bit of a roadie. Yeah, we're on, uh, we come out of lockdown, uh, we are originally actually supposed to be down here for quite some time. Um, well, I got a month off work, so uh, lockdown hit, and then after we got into level two, I said to my wife, I think we should do it still, so we packed the car up, and uh, yeah, made a roadie down, Queenstown for a few days for her 40th, and then across to Wanaka, so we've been here ever since. All right, yeah. and it's been going pretty well? Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, good to get back down here, good yeah. to be snowboarding again, good nice. to catch up with some old friends, and yeah, yeah it's been awesome. So I've seen them there. Instagram pictures look like you had all the toys packed in the truck. Yeah. <laughs> Poor truck. Yeah, yeah. Skateboards, bikes, snowboards. Oh, everything. Everything we can squeeze in there. Nice. And you got two grommets, a couple of grommets? Uh, three kids. Three kids. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sienna, she's 14. Uh, Kaida, he's 10. Uh, 11, sorry. And Amos, he's 6. Oh, sweet. And they're all into the standing sideways sort uh, of thing? No, because my wife's a skier. Oh, yeah. Uh, and my eldest daughter, she's a skier. And my youngest boy's a skier, but Kaida, he snowboards. Oh, sweet. Uh, so we decided with the youngest one, he really wants to snowboard at 6, but uh, we need him to have uh, another year on skis, and then we'll get him into snowboarding. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool, though, getting a... Um enthusiasm for mountain life anyway mm. so. yep totally oh, sweet well we'll kick this one off um, Pat where are you from and how did you get into snowboarding uh, I am originally from well actually I was born in Australia Northern Territory Catherine uh, and we lived there with my parents and sister till about 1986 moved back to Auckland and then from there we moved down to Tūrangi my dad uh, all his family are originally from Tūrangi so, uh, so yeah, he moved down there and got a job, and then we followed not long after. So Tūrangi, I call home. Uh, been away from Tūrangi for quite some time, but my wife and I have just recently moved back. Uh, yeah, living in between Tūrangi and Taupo, it's been awesome. Oh, cool. And how did snowboarding get into the picture? Uh, snowboarding at the time wasn't around. I was skiing, uh, and we had a couple of mountain trips with my parents when we were living in Auckland. And then when we finally moved down, we just picked up skiing and, and kept skiing. And then uh, I used to spend a bit of time down at Takanu Ski Hire, which is called Snow Zone now, I think. Um, and that was just a small little rental shop. Uh, we used to get our skis, hire our skis from there. And then I remember seeing the snowboard turn up in, the, in one of the shelves and I thought, wow, what's this thing? <laughs> picked it up and was playing with it. Uh, yeah, and that's how I first saw it, and then started seeing some pictures coming through, and yeah, that's re- really how I first got into it, or started seeing it. Mm. And how was that first day? Uh, the first day was painful, <laughs> I must admit. I had, uh, I was very keen, and I wasn't going to let it beat me, uh, and although my father, who wasn't around anymore, he was... Uh, he was with me at the time and he was skiing and he used to crack up at me because I was straight up the centennial chairlift at Whakapapa and man it was just like a tomahawk fest coming down uh, <laughs> shit everywhere goggles gloves yard sales it was uh, yeah it was classic but uh, probably took me about a week to get used to it and then mm. it was just yeah hillside sides that warrior toe sides sides that warrior <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh, well, was there a moment where snowboarding just clicked? You're like, fuck yeah, this is my shit. 
Um, yeah, I think it was after that first season. Once I got a bit better and started seeing some more people do it, uh, started to chase a few people around, then it just clicked for me. It resonated because it was just right at my back doorstep. Uh, it wasn't readily available. It was quite hard to do because we were so close to the mountain, but yet, you know, financially it was quite hard to do mm. it. Uh, but after that first season, that's what that's when it really clicked. Oh, sweet. So who were some of these guys who were chasing around the mountain? Was it were these like the local, yeah, pro dudes or? Well, there was quite a selection actually because uh, Fuck Papa and Tudor or Mount Ruapehu in general is like in the middle of North Island, mm. and the North Island being the most populated, there's people coming from all over the show: Auckland, Wellington, Hastings, Palmerston North. And I think the first person I met who was snowboarding was probably uh, Rodney Blackburn and this guy Khan. I can't remember his last name, but they were living in Tomaranui or around the Tomaranui area. And I would always see them up there. And every time I saw them up there in the weekend, I'd go and chase them around. They probably got sick of me chasing them. <laughs> so um, you were quite a bit younger than them? Uh, no, nah, not that much younger. They were probably another three or four years older than me, maybe. I don't know, I need to hit up Rodders and see how old he is now. Yeah, because was this in your sort of early teens? Or yeah, oh man, I would have been 13, 14. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're yeah, quite quite young still. Mm, sweet. And did you have a crew of um, like riders you were shredding with, or you were just sort of rolling solo and just trying to catch up with the other rippers and shit? Or? Yeah, there was always a, a pretty healthy crew. There was a couple of guys from Tūrangi that would go up. They were a couple of years older than I was as well. And then uh, later on in the piece, they started when there was uh, snowboard instructing started. There was a few guys that would pop up here and there, uh, and I remember seeing quite a few guys like Greg Prowse and Brad Galloway and all those guys. And then there would be the Jedi guys from uh, Jedi crew from Palmy. I'd see them up there, the Whipper Boys. Uh, so it, there was always a good crew. Mm. It was always quite diverse, and, mm. and but yeah, and so always, these. Crews coming from different places, they, I'm assuming, would have had a different way of looking at riding the mountain, depending on oh, where they totally. were from. Like, well, um, would I be right in assuming, say, the Palmy, the Jedi guys were skaters and would have looked at it differently than, say, the guys from the coast that had maybe a surf background? Or? Yeah, totally different styles, all converging mm. on one uh, one ski field was interesting. So you find that you're in the middle because you're from nearby. You've got all these influences coming in from different sides that it was sort of a let's grab a bit of that and a bit of that and see how we go. Or... Yeah, and then you throw some skiers in on the mix on that too. Mm. Uh, and they always went way faster than all of us. Mm. And then you've got Greg Prowse and Brad who are like pretty hardcore, yeah. uh, hardcore hard booters at that time. And they were hard to keep up with. And then you've got the Palmy crew, which were quite skatey. Uh, super freestyle orientated uh, yeah so no it was a good diverse mix of people mm. to, to look and you know follow and mm. oh, sweet. And what was your first board uh, my first board actually was uh, a 1988 K2 gyrator no way yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was the board actually that I saw down at Takanu Ski Hire and uh, and I remember saying to Brian Hayes, who who used to own it, he doesn't own it anymore. His grandson does. Uh, I used to say to him, "Man, how can I? How much does it cost to rent this? How can I rent this out?" And then he said, "Well, if you come down here and wax skis, uh, you know, if you do four nights for me, I'll give you the board for the weekend." Oh, right. So I was like, 
suck. So I went down there after school, would whack some skis, he'd lend me the board. And then I remember one day my dad was down there and he had bought it. Oh, yeah. And so I remember seeing this K2 gyrator turn up in our living room and I was just like, oh my God, Dad, what's going on here? And he hadn't bought it for me. He had bought it for himself because he had these grand visions that he was going to stop skiing and, and get into <laughs> get into snowboarding. Um, but yeah, so he had it for a while and I was still doing the uh, helping Brian Hayes out, uh, waxing skis for the snowboard rental. And then he got himself a brand new K2. I can't remember what it was. And then he said, oh, here, you can have the gyrator. And that was like... 92 93 and it had cracked steel edges i remember having cracked steel edges by the time i was finished with it it had like sections totally missing (laughs) (laughs) full d-lam nose that would been glued together with duct tape and were you riding this with ski boots or were you a soft boot guy no i was i had uh i think they came with some sims bindings some out of it sims bindings and i had these old forestry gum boots with uh like diving weddy boots on the inside of those <laughs> it was hilarious mm. uh, and then we had Sorrells I think with ski boot liners yeah not long after that yeah ski boot liners and duct tape yeah yeah <laughs> but I did do the odd stint on on hard boots but I never really enjoyed it it was I mean freestyle board with hard boots is just not the one well, that's why I asked because I remember I, I had a crack on a K2 gyrator at Cadrona in like 93 yeah and it was like ski boots with the hard plate bindings and <laughs> You know, and it's like, oh, geez, any wonder I couldn't make it work. <laughs> it, it, it rode me. I didn't ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Narrow stance too. Would have been oh, totally. Hectic. Positive, positive, but like super positive. <laughs> Monoboard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not far off, eh? Oh, was there some um, influences you were looking at, um, local or internationally, that uh, sort of... Around that time? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I suppose so. Magazines were hard to come by. Uh, I actually went to the, um, there's a bookstore in Tūrangi and I said to them, is there any ski snowboard magazines you guys can get in? Uh, And actually one of the first times that I'd ever seen somebody that I'd seen in a poster was, I'm pretty sure it was Danny Kiwi Meyer who came through Takano Ski High with a whole bunch of rad air boards. Oh, sick. And uh, and I remember seeing the rad air poster uh, on the ski high wall and then... When I was talking to Brian, he said, oh, that's Danny Meyer, and these are all his boards that he's brought back from overseas. I was just like, holy fuck, that's so cool. Danny Meyer, man, that dude, he's just a man, eh? Heroic, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, such a legend. Yeah, Uh, like um, when I had him on here and his episode came out, the amount of DMs I got with people going that 4x4 story, I I was, oh my God. (laughs) And... Yeah, so so that would have been almost at the peak of his um, pro pro time then. Um, yeah, I think so. Mm. Well, would that be ninety four, ninety five ish. So a bit starstruck, or yeah. Oh, yeah. after I didn't even realise until after we were talking about it, and then uh, the guy who owns the ski high told me who it was, and I was like, "Damn it! Should have got the poster signed." <laughs> <laughs> mm. Oh man, and um. <clears throat> And was there some other um, influences kicking around? This is quite a lot of shredders up in North Island at the time, right? Or yeah, yeah. Well, once, uh, if we sort of progress a little bit further from when I was a teenager, I remember getting to the end of high school and still snowboarding and actually only wanting to go snowboarding. That was mm. probably uh, an important part of not paying attention at high school. <laughs> um, 
and I remember going through fifth form, wasn't really that interested, didn't really give a shit about school. Schooling probably wasn't that great, but I probably wasn't that great either. And we got to sixth form, barely made it to the end of that year because I just would never turn up. Uh, and then I remember my parents saying to me, uh, you either leave and get a job or you go, you got to go back to school. And I think we had spoken to somebody up at Papa, and they were looking to do kind of like a rookie program uh, the following year, which was 97. And who was running that? Rachel Newton and this guy Shane Orr. Oh, yeah. Um, so had that summer off, decided to myself and told my parents that I wasn't going to go back. I was going to try it for this rookie program and become a snowboard instructor. Had all these visions of grandeur. Uh, I remember rolling into the uh, quite a big turnout actually for the. They had like a, a two day uh, kind of like an induction program, but they had to select certain different people and you had to do a whole bunch of riding. And I don't know if you've been riding with Rach, she's pretty hard out. She's a powerful rider. Yeah, right? powerful yeah. rider. Yeah, she, uh, for a small lady, she is a weapon, total weapon. Mm. Uh, I remember in 97 when we did our. Uh, rookie program uh she was straight up the guts and she said uh you're right okay could be better this is what we got to do and that whole 97 season she just brought me back from a back seat straight legged front knee sort of surfy buzz and she made me stand up on my snowboard a lot taller and she just drilled into me turn 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 edge control turn 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 edge control flex and extension all that sort of instructor shit yeah um i mean it's it says a lot so, sorry to cut you off no you're right. but like uh say jj raywood and tim herbert uh rachel newton prodigies mm. and they're shred, they're really good but like their fundamentals are flawless like, yeah tim's the biggest gibber out there and he'll go and whip everyone in the bank slalom you know with a board that probably doesn't have edges on it <laughs> 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 No, but that just speaks volumes about what she, you know, the fundamentals that she teaches, and uh, she's not aggressively teaching it, but she's firm. Yeah. And I, lo- I, I loved it because it, uh, you know, instilled a few fundamentals in the way that I used to snowboard as well, and still to this day I can remember all the things that she would always be like, no, don't do that, you got to do this. I can and, still hear it. And so it wasn't a bruise to the ego, it was... Like, like, so when you showed up, were you like, yeah, I'm going to rip, I'm already good? Or was it like, no, I'm going to learn and listen to everything? No, no, I was shit scared. I was absolutely shit scared because uh, she came straight out with the feedback. Uh, right. You ride good, but you need to be better. That's right. basically where she came from. And uh, and I was already shitting my pants anyway because there was a whole bunch of snowboarders that had turned up to do this. And I'd never seen them before in my life. You know, John Shelley, I don't know if you've heard of John Shelley. another name, yeah. He does uh, instructor training with us in 97. Uh, Angus Ryburn, who was on hard plate at the time on a race board. Uh, Bopper, uh, quite a few people down here know Bopper, probably. Uh, Carla Simcox, she was there. Uh, there was a whole bunch of people. So Carla Simcox, she was on... Did you guys... Pretty sure I discovered both your names in that issue of New Zealand Snowwater. Like Will J's on the cover doing a linear. Yes. And and there was like nine different riders from the country that got checkouts. Yeah. It was like Logan, yourself, Carla, Fee Duncan. Yeah, Fee so, actually, yeah. So was Carla like a fixture up in the North Island then or something? 
Um, well, she had come through a uh, outdoor instructors training program uh, out of Tūrangi, uh, and then her and I become quite close uh, throughout the instructor training program, and then she came down and did a stint down here, which is probably where she got that photo from. Yeah, uh, yeah I remember there was like a fifty-fifty to front board. Yeah, marks yeah. And and you yeah. were board sliding a rail or something. Yeah, at the tavern. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, that was a while ago now. Yeah. And was Fee Duncan a fixture up that way too? Uh, yeah, I met Fee probably a little bit later on in the piece. Right. Uh, probably not so much in 97, but a little bit, little bit later on. Yeah. But like I was saying, we had such a, a heavy crew uh, of really good riders in 97 that, uh, yeah, you probably wouldn't see that again. Well, mind you, I'm not in the instructing game anymore, so it's mm. hard to know what sort of... Um, so sort of these people, they all showed up for the same course and then where they went with snowboarding was kind of like, well, that was a heavy, heavy crew. Yeah, well, mate, not so much where they went, but just the diversity, right? Like you've got mm. hard platers uh, and, you know, you've got people who, uh, like myself, who could jump, Carla, who could probably jump and, and ride park, and then you've got John Shelley, who's board across, mm. uh, and then a whole bunch of other people that came through that, you know, so yeah, it would have been hard to teach. Age. Yeah, uh, would have been hard for Rach to sort of diversify through hard plates and yeah. different riding styles. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a bit of work there. Yeah, right? yeah, a bit of work there. And um, we probably should mention the, this was a couple of years after the mountain blew up. Oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> oh my poor mountain. Um, mm. Yeah, ninety five was a bit of a, a, a dud season. Uh, luckily enough, my mum and dad decided that we were going to go for a, a Canterbury Club Field mission which is probably the very first time that I'd ever been to the South Island. And we hit up Mount Hutt, Mount Cheeseman and Porter Heights on that trip in 95. Uh, I remember seeing the mountain, where I was up the mountain at the time when it erupted, and I remember seeing these plumes of ash coming out of the top and thinking, holy fuck, what have I, you know, where am I? Yeah. And then the eruption that followed probably went on for a good month or so, even longer than that. Uh, yeah, it was crazy, crazy, crazy times to see an eruption like that. Well, be pretty. You're pretty close to all that living in Turing, yeah. Yeah, uh, probably more so in '96 when it started, uh, when it erupted again, and this big ash cloud came up from the mountain and started heading north. Oh, yeah. And I was in school in in Taupo at the time. I remember looking back to the southern end of the lake, and I could just see this ash cloud just totally suck in. You know, the Tūrangi area coming up the lake, and I was thinking, oh my god, I hope everything's all right down there. And I remember all our gutters were filled with ash. We had like ash, like ash was like freshies piled up in the corner. It was, Jesus. yeah, it was crazy. Fuck, that's crazy times. That's gnarly. Yeah, <laughs> but we've um, Ruapehu managed to salvage a little bit of a season out of both of those. Well, not ninety five, but ninety six. I remember them opening a little bit later on in the season. Um, so, which is generally considered the better time, so that springtime. Yeah. Time. Yeah, well, it's, it feels different these days, right? Uh, snow seasons just seem to be later and later. Mm. Uh, back then, you know, we would have seasons starting in June, like early to mid-June, and they would go all the way through. In some cases, 92, 93, 94 maybe, we had four-metre bases and opening in Christmas. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, a picture of Andrew Morrison snowboarding on Christmas Day and some yeah. shit way back. And we've had some of those days and uh, some of those seasons in the 2000s, but nothing like four-metre bases. Yeah. I mean, that was just unheard of. 
for a few years at Kadrona, we had uh, our maintenance, chill of maintenance crew, we're all from up that way. Yeah. Um, Andy Bates, if you're listening, and the <laughs> Kearney fella. Yeah. And uh, I remember they would have the gnarliest ice stories, <laughs> those dudes. And people would be down there, he'd be like, oh, it's so ice. Nah, nah, it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, if you haven't had a, uh, or if you have had a Ruapehu season, you know exactly what they're talking about. And if mm. you hadn't, uh, yeah, it's a it's an experience and a half. Mm. Sort of backtrack a little bit too. Uh, one of the huge influences I remember seeing was New Zealand snowboarder. Uh, the issue I think you posted on Instagram, mm. and it was uh, the cover of New Zealand Snowboard Mag with Dino Johnson doing a fifty fifty on a rail at Two Door. Yes, that yes. was sick. one of the um, probably now. I don't know if you if you've got a copy of that episode. I'd love to get a copy of that. I think it ended up on my wall as a grom. Oh yeah, it yeah. was on my wall as well. And I don't know where it went now. I, I like the one I posted on Instagram. I stole from Craig Strong's Instagram page. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> Th- thanks, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, if anyone's got an original, please let me know. I'd love to get a, I mean, a blown that, up copy of that. That cover was. I remember seeing that and being like, that was almost one of the first times I seen jibbing. I think I was just like, but he's not. What? <laughs> yeah, and I like yeah. even it's not so much that he was on the rail. Like for me, that was pretty mind blowing. But then I was looking at the weather and I was looking at how wet he was, and it was like, oh my god, he's doing it in the most gnarliest fucking weather conditions as well. Which, oh, still to this day, mm. I reckon's such a sick photo. And on that Sims Noah, yes, board too. Yeah, and and turns out Danny Meyer was there with him that day as well. Oh, that's right. I yeah. remember listening to Danny's. Yeah, and Sheena Haywood um, took the picture. I mean, fuck, Dino Johnston probably doesn't get enough credit for doing what he did for snowboarding in this country, eh? No, nowhere near enough credit. And, yeah, you know, I'm hoping to have a Dino interview. Oh, you have to. holy shit, like, yeah. the, the things that dude did. Yeah, I know I haven't really had the privilege. I've met him a couple of times. I re- haven't really had the privilege to get to know him very well like a lot of other people have. But still legendary in his own right, uh, and uh, yeah, it's just good for Dino to know that he's yeah is a legend, you know, yeah. amongst everybody. And Dino, the mic's on, ready to go whenever, <laughs> you, whenever you are, mate. Um, and was there any like sort of international pros or anything you were looking at at this time, being like, "Fuck yeah, that's my shit." Yeah, Matt and Temple Cummins probably. Uh, I remember seeing them in magazines, thinking they were the shit. Uh, Jamie Lynn, of course, because they were it was just plastered everywhere on dragon ads and all sorts. Um, yeah, it was quite a few from back then. I remember Kevin Young, actually, uh, getting a couple of, uh, seeing some photos of him. Mm, shorties. He, yeah. Well, well, that's shorties. where I remember him from, was the shorties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then probably in, he had a K2 board in one of the photos I remember seeing of him. Mm. But yeah, no, it was always such a diverse. Sean Palmer, of course, you always see... Pretty hectic Mr. shots of yeah. Mr. Rock and Roll himself. Eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty gnarly. Um, yeah, always Andy Hetzel, all those guys. Mm. Kevin Jones. Oh, yeah. Did you get how long he's been around for? Fuck, well, I mean, he was kind of the trick machine back in the day, wasn't he? Well, yeah. in the early, like about that time when he had the Genius brand, he was just like this fucking trick machine. Yeah, powerhouse. Mm. Yeah, and he, uh, I sometimes forget how long he's been around too. Yeah, is he still going in the snow? Uh, I, yeah, he's still probably not doing it as much. I know that he got 
I saw an interview with him uh, a little while ago, and he got burnt out and decided to leave. Mm. Well, not leave, but just not snowboard as much as. And he still does a little bit. Mm. You see him pop up every now and then. Yeah, but yeah, shit, he was untouchable for a while. Oh, yeah, especially his video parts, man. There's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I seen any pictures of him was that um, someone, it was a Northwave ad, and they'd set up a rail on top of a cliff. Yes. And that 50 50 tail grab off. Tail grab off. It's like, what the fuck? Oh, no. And I think I'd seen the ad before I saw the footage come through on technical difficulties. That was on that one. That see, I didn't see, at that time I was faded out on snowboard videos. Yeah. And so, regrettably, there's about four four years where I didn't, I missed out on a lot of classics because they're like, nah, I'm, I, just, I just watch skate videos. Yeah, 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 right. And... Yes, yeah, so I missed all of that shit. It's not until like ten years later I've seen the like the resistance and shit. It's like, yeah, what a dick. <laughs> and I'd seen all the TV series, and then when I, mm. I remember seeing technical difficulties for the first time, I think I was living in Tahoe at the time. I was just like, "Holy shit, this is just next level." Because mm, that was Mac Dog, right? Yeah, and uh, it's it obviously had an impact. So quite a few people sort of mentioned that video and shit, eh? Whereas, like, see, that that's one that just passed me by. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. You know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, we sort of, while we're talking, we're segued away from the North Island, we're going to segue back a little because we sort of need to talk about Greg Prowse and Brad Galloway a little bit. Yeah, well, so, uh, in my earlier year snowboarding, I always saw Greg and Brad up there uh, chasing each other around. Uh, and probably in my later years, once I started getting a little bit better, I got to know Greg a little bit and also Brad a little bit as well. And we had uh, spent quite a bit of time together. Um, and their take on um, their take on snowboarding, I actually really love. Uh, they are like hunting for the best lines, uh, best turns, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and yeah, so I remember I remember hanging out with them, seeing them fanging around the hill, and then yeah, doing a couple of runs with them and making sure. Mm. And they were always on to me about there's no point doing all your five forties and seven twenties if you can't do a turn. And yeah, right. So they were quite hard on me about that sort of stuff. Not not that hard, but you know, every every time I'd be with them, they'd always remind me. Mm. Don't forget where you come from. Don't forget you still got a turn. Yeah, <laughs> um, was that at the time you like? Oh, whatever, granddad. No, no, not at all. Not at all. No, very healthy respect for those guys because mm. they were the ones for me that I'd always seen in the early nineties, and and uh, yeah, no, very healthy respect, and definitely even to this day, you see Prousey fanging around on skis up there, and man, just as good on skis he's, as he is. He's on, skiing these days. Yeah. All right. And he is a total weapon, uh, and mad respect. Like, yeah. Respect's mm. always there for those so, guys. So they were almost like Ruapehu royalty, those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, Ruapehu royalty, those two. Mm. Uh, so what, Brad Galloway had a signature tsunami. Yeah, tsunami I board, right? can't remember how long that thing I was. I was snow sticks, but this was a tsunami. No, it was a tsunami, yeah. Yeah, right. I can't remember how long it was. It was like a 175 or 6 or something. Something massive. Big enough, eh? Yeah, and it was heavy. A freestyle board mounted with uh, hard plate bindings, mm. and fuck, he used to tear around the hill on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I remember picking it up once, thinking, "Oh my god, it's so heavy! How can you? Yeah, how can probably, you do anything on this?" He probably needed hard boots to bloody <laughs> turn it. The bastard. <laughs> Jesus, uh, crack it! <laughs> and so, when that '97 was that when you sort of segued into doing seasons? 
and were you sort of doing them as an instructor or? Uh, yeah, well, I got my instructor's cert, my level one or stage one, they called it back then. Uh, and that was at the end of the season. And I remember being so buzzed out that I was qualified instructor uh, that I actually had the, we didn't have enough time to organise anything to go overseas and I actually hadn't really thought about going overseas. We had a summer off um, uh, working in Taupo as a kitchen hand and then I remember coming back for the 98 season uh, with the idea that I wanted to teach that whole season and then travel to, to Tahoe or somewhere like that to you know North America to... Uh, pick up some teaching and experience an overseas trip um never really thought at nine you know during 98 it was a real slim snow season mm. real hard that work sucked didn't it yeah yeah big time yeah um and i think we're only open for six weeks or seven weeks i, I can't quite remember but i remember it being real slim season mm. uh and well, i can't remember that one it wasn't worth coming out from dunedin until like mid to late august yeah, yeah, like we were the same. I think it was like mid-July by the time we opened. Mm. And it wasn't even all facilities. It was just T-bars at one point, I remember. Jesus. Yeah, it was crazy. So that was hard. That was hard work. But at the same time, uh, it was it was good because you had a focus at the end of the season that we were going to uh, hopefully try and get a... Um, that I would hopefully try and get a transfer to another ski field overseas. I think Rach Newton had come back for that year. Yeah, she was there. And then she had organised a few of us jobs at North Star at Lake Tahoe. Oh, right. Because she was working there as well. Um, so everybody, quite a few people left. Uh, I stayed on for a little bit longer and then turned up a little bit later. I uh, can't remember why. I think it was organising the visas and stuff like that. And that was my first season in Tahoe was 98 North Star teaching. Right. Yeah. And did this sort of start a back and forth between, say, Ruapeo and Tahoe? Yeah, well, it started igniting a little bit of a, an idea that I thought that was a pretty cool thing to do. Mm. Uh, it kept me out of Tūrangi, uh, which I didn't really want to stick around in for too much longer anyway. Uh, I got had, had some awesome experiences, got to meet some real cool people, and then I thought, yeah, this is, this is real rad. I want to keep this going. Um, Unfortunately, came back to Ruapehu on uh, in '99, and then that following season, I didn't go back to North Star. I actually went to Diamond Peak, which is just around an incline village oh, on right. the Nevada side, and uh, and caught up with a whole bunch of other Kiwi guys there and started teaching snowboarding there, which was cool. That was I really enjoyed working at Diamond Peak. It was a awesome experience, nice little field, mm. uh, super busy, but yeah, it was it and was good. Was there some pretty obvious differences as instructing in the States as opposed to instructing in New Zealand? And um, yeah, so, a lot more, like a lot snow, busier. Yes, and just the snow culture in general. Yeah, right? snow culture in general was way different. Um, and for, for a Tūrangi boy, it took a while to sort of adjust to, you know, that sort of, you know, busyness and resorts being so huge and, you know, train parks and half pipes and all that sort of thing. So it was, mm. yeah, it was a bit of an experience. Because did... Um, did uh, Ruapehu not have anything going terrain park-wise? Uh, yeah, very, very limited amounts. Uh, and I think in one year they had a, uh, a half pipe which was dug by hand. Mm-hmm. And so it was all shaped with a digger to a certain point. And then, you know, a team of people, lifties I think it was, and a few other ski school people would go through and shape it with shovels. Uh, so then the top coping bit was actually just jagged, big ice chunk boulder <laughs> edge. <laughs> 
which was probably way more dangerous than what I ever thought of at the time. Yeah. Um, but no, we never had no real terrain park, not like mm. they were in the States. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that was that was pretty cool. Uh, actually, another little thing that happened in 98, uh, in 1996, my dad had set up a uh, two-footed snowboard squad, which was aimed at getting um, uh, two-footed youth into snowboarding. Um, so he started that in 96 and he had a few instructors that had come through the rookie year with me and also instructors that had already been trained um, and then in 98 I got the chance to teach those kids how to snowboard too so it was awesome have a little bit of give back to yeah. where I come from as well as as well as uh, progressing a little bit further for myself so no it was it was a cool. it was an awesome thing and that actually went all the way through to 2014 that whole initiative so, and then, yeah. so that gave an opportunity for people to discover snowboarding that wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult uh, for people who live in Turingi. It's difficult because it's snowboarding and skiing is always seen as an elite sport. Yeah, and uh, and I've never quite understood it uh, to the point where I don't think it's an elite sport because if if I can get into it, then anybody can get into it. Mm. But I also know that it's expensive to do. I mean, you look at the day passes now, it's a hundred bucks a head for an adult. Uh, I mean, you buy, go and buy your own gear. You could easily spend two or three grand, uh, straight off the bat. So, so I can see that it's financially, it's hard for, you know, some of our whanau down there to get up and it's an intimidating outlay to start with, eh? And, yeah, you know, like, the, like Jesus Christ. Yeah, and then and then this you got to buy the the clothes, the clothes, the, the, the eyewear, eyewear, the, the oh, yeah, the passes, the, passes, the socks, the, the socks, the clothes. Yeah, it's all sorts of go. Yeah, all sorts and of stuff. So we had a few moments in in the workshop at work where people come in and like, what the hell are they doing on that thing? But then you sort of, well, yeah, okay, fair enough. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so how long were you instructed Rupeo for then? Well I went back to uh, I went to Diamond Peak 98-99 came back, taught 99 uh, I don't think I lasted the whole season, I was pretty over teaching by then because I oh. started to get a little bit better um, and then I went back I think I lasted most of the season 99 teaching at Rupeo and then I went back to uh, Diamond Peak in 2000 where am I up to yeah 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 2000 went back and taught there for the season and I can't remember if I came back in 2000 and what I whether I taught again no probably not it was just writing so did um so you ended up just writing for yourself yeah um, of writing for myself uh working here and there teaching a little bit but not really focusing on turning up to line up every day mm. with the focus of standing at the front saying I want work I, if you know we were busy and we had to work I'd work but if I could get away with backline man I was the backline king <laughs> and uh, that means just shredding for yourself yeah yeah like going that. out and riding uh, uh, and then I started getting really annoyed that I was riding in a uniform so and then I started taking the uniform off or wearing it inside <laughs> out <laughs> I don't know why I did that <laughs> inside out that all fuck em. yeah yeah <laughs> catch me if you can especially at uh, fuck a puppet we had these bright red santa suits and there's no way you could ever get away with ducking a rope thinking that your jacket was inside out but your bright red pants weren't going to give you away (laughs) (laughs) the amount of ropes i ducked and patrol would chase us oh it was yeah yeah 
Yeah. And so this sort of lead towards sponsorship? Um, yeah, I think uh, oh, it was the first time somebody gave me something. I think it was, must have been in the 99 season. Uh, and I was staying with Ian Bright. Uh, he works for Atomic, and at the time mm. that he was uh, living in National Park, he was being a sales rep. I think he was a sales rep for Oxygen Snowboards and West Beach. So. And so he gave me some outerwear and a snowboard, and I was on them for, for a little bit. So I found out something about him. I've only known him Bright as a skier. Yeah. been working in the industry. And since I started this podcast thing up, he sent me a picture a few months back of him snowboarding. Yeah. And I was like, I did, I, dude, I just thought you were a skier. <laughs> yeah, well, he worked up at Rupee, he worked up at Fuck Proper as well, as I think as a lifty. And I remember him as a snowboarder, always as a snowboarder, and then he changed to skiing a little bit later on. Yeah, because you were saying once um, Atomic stopped doing snowboard stuff. Yeah, that's when he so, stopped, stopped mm. snowboarding. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Super cool guy. Mm. Uh, helped me out a lot, which was awesome. Um, yeah, and then on my last trip to Tahoe, uh, I had a whole bunch of, or a couple of oxygen boards. I remember snapping quite a few of those, actually. I shouldn't shouldn't say that too loud, but <laughs> I remember snapping quite a few of those. Uh, so sorry, Ian, if I put <laughs> annoyed you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, snapping, snapping too many boards. Um, Merely doing research and development. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I could never figure out why. <laughs> um, and then I remember getting a silence board, quite cheap one season. I think that was in two thousand. After after I finished with oxygen, I remember getting a silence board, and I had that for a season. Mm. And then I think it was so, back. Sorry. Oh, so was that was the era that was Steve Ferguson and Glenn Leggett were. Silent, yeah, yeah. No, mm. it was. Uh, I didn't really know Steve Ferguson at that point uh, when I got the silence board, and it wasn't until they came up for Springfest that year, which was in two thousand. I'm pretty sure, and that's when I first saw Steve ride, uh, and he was with John Pickens. Is it John Pickens? Mm. Yeah, and a couple of others that came up. Uh, well, quite a few people came up for those uh, Springfest comps. Um, yeah, and that's when I found out that he was writing Silence as well, and it was, yeah, it's cool. So, yeah. So, how did Atlantis come to the picture? Atlantis Snowboards, that's an interesting one. Uh, mm. I remember going back to Tahoe working at Diamond Peak, uh, and it was like my second or third season there. And I remember catching up with uh, the sales rep who was selling Atlantis Snowboards into stores. Uh, his name's John Graham. Uh, John if you're ever listening thank you my friend um, yeah forever grateful for John he gave me an Atlantis board and he said here take this uh, ride it see what you think let me know so I rode it for a bit and I think it was board M Atlantis bindings at that time and I think it was the very last uh, Ingemar Backman that they had or that they were making and then man I was on that for a season Oh, just trying to wrap my brain as to how it all sort of panned out. I remember hanging out with John. We'd go ride all the time. Uh, he uh, was one of those old school pros from uh, who was living in Incline Village. Uh, still rips now. Super sick rider. Um, so he gave me the, my first board, yeah, and then just stuck with him. 
and I can't remember if it was the second year that I came back still riding for him and then we ended up uh, with a brand new boards he got some brand new boards and he said try ride these and then uh, he had organized with Kirkwood uh, for the whole Atlantis team and not only was he selling Atlantis, he also had Taipei. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which was super so rad as that well. That must have been towards the end of Taipei's thing. Yeah, I, I, they were both on the same sort of journey, I think. Taipei and Atlantis, they were sort of, um, little did I know at the time that mm. they were coming to an end. Uh, not long after I was on them. But um, but yeah, so we had Taipei and they'd organised a team photo shoot at Kirkwood. Uh, John Graham organised me into uh, coming along, uh, which was pretty out of it for me because I wasn't too sure what I would expect when I turned up there. I didn't know who was who. I I knew who was on the team, but I didn't realise that they were all going to be there. Uh, and so we stayed at the, uh, some ski and ski out condo thing there. And when we rolled in, there's like both pro teams for Taipei and Atlanta Snowballs. It's just like, holy fuck, this is Fuck's way up. out of it. So who were some of these, some of the pros at the time? Oh man. Um, Gita Shane, he's uh, he was from Canada. I remember he had a pro, the last pro model with uh, Atlantis. Kevin Young, uh, he was there. I remember the Taipei team: Dave Cashin, Jeremy Bay, uh, Jim Moran. Oh wow! A fucking funny story about Jim Moran, actually. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you that in a bit. Um, yeah, quite a and a few uh, AMs were floating around there were Bobby Ray yeah quite a few people quite a few people turned up for that um Kirkwood put them up or put us all up in the ski out ski out condo they built a big jump the weather was absolute shit um and yeah basically it was just party it was just party time and it was out of it because there was boxes of boards boxes of outerwear because Atlantis was doing outerwear uh hoodies t-shirts fucking shit flying out everywhere uh, got to meet the team manager Jack Coglin. He was actually the team manager for Ride. He'd been down to New Zealand a couple of times. He is super rad guy. Um, yeah, so yeah, had a had a week, a few days there with them. About a week, okay. I think we were there. Oh, sweet. Um, and so, what's this Jim Moran story? Oh, it's a long story, but uh, I try not to incriminate too many people. <laughs> probably incriminating myself more than anything uh i think we because the weather had been so shit so we we're just on the piss basically it was just mm. a big piss truck uh and we had been drinking and we there was a, uh, a group of girls which had been staying up at kirkwood as well and then when they found out that there was a whole bunch of pro snowboarders staying there they all started hovering around us and and hanging and then we invited them to party with us and we all ended up in various different hot tubs, uh, and then I ended up cock blocking Jim Moran, hooking up with this chick <laughs> who was staying with us. And then I remember Jack Coglin, the team manager, coming up to me and saying, "Fucking Jim Moran is so pissed that you cock blocked him. Who the fuck is this Kiwi guy cock blocking me?" <laughs> I was a bit embarrassed actually. I didn't even realise what was going on, but um, but yeah, he wasn't very happy with me. <laughs> I th- yeah, we didn't talk for the rest of the trip, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> he was pissed. Oh, shit. Yeah. Old Pat from Turing <laughs> <Yeah>. comes along. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> don't oh. you know who I am, Pat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, he did remind me several times after that. <laughs> uh, and I, after a while, I was just like, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
all good. It's all good. Oh, so, so you had a good, um, a bit of a, a, you were on Atlantis for a while then, were, were you just on, were you as, as an AM or did you sort of progress beyond that? Yeah, well, uh, we hadn't really officially uh, sussed the contract out with uh, between Jack and myself or, or Atlantis and myself. It was just one of those things. Jack was like, oh, we're going to put you on the AM team for the catalogue. I said, sweet as, it's all good. Uh, and then I remember returning to New Zealand with a stack of boards um, and uh, would keep in contact with Jack via email. You have to remember back then there was no real cell phones or... Uh, well, they, we did have cell phones, but it was super expensive to call and they were for US. Too, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you had to email everybody once or twice a week or once a month. It was yeah, it was real complicated. Um, but uh, you actually, that same trip in January, you went down to... Uh, is, it SI, is it SIA? Yeah. 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 Went to SIA and helped them set up this big, massive uh, stand there for Atlantis. Met all the reps. Uh, hung out with them again. All the same guys that we saw at Kirkwood came down. and So SIA was in Vegas, right? Yeah, in Vegas. Jesus. I then remember John Graham and I actually drove from Tahoe to Vegas for that. Christ, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Nothing went wrong. Everything went smooth. <laughs> so not a single thing out of place, Tony. <laughs> I, I do remember getting back to Tahoe thinking, holy fuck, I'm glad I survived that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was cool. Actually, uh, that's when I first met the guys from Von Zipper. Was at that uh, was at that trade show. Mm. Uh, I think they had just started in two thousand, and I think uh, the snow, they had made some snow goggles, mm. and then they had this real small square booth. But that was like all the hype for the whole show. Everyone was talking about Von Zipper. Oh yeah. And so we ended up partying with them one night and uh, talking to them about uh, what well, fuck all sorts of random shit. I think we were at a strip club. Um, Vegas and, yeah. yeah Vegas uh, and then next thing I know when I get back to Tahoe a box of goggles and glasses and hoodies turn up and so I emailed this guy Sky Weaver who I was dealing with at the time uh, emailed him he said no sweat if you need anything just let us know and then I got another box just before I came back to New Zealand and then that must have been all the time that Billabong ended up uh, either distributing them or had bought them or had shares in them or something like that and then that sort of just flowed over from uh from knowing those guys in america to getting some stuff through billabong and then ended up on billabong as well so that was yeah that was pretty cool sweet so i remember you check out and you said you're on the atlantis and i was like whoa atlantis is still going sick yeah um, yeah they were yeah. good boards man uh, i think they were made in the option factory uh they were super sick boards, and I actually have got a couple left. Mm, don't tell Ollie Burke. No, no, I've been teasing <laughs> Ollie Burke a couple of times. <laughs> I've sent him a couple of photos recently just to keep him frothing. Oh, right. Yeah, he might, he might make the effort up to Turangi and have a knock on your door. <laughs> well, I did I did suggest that I was going to bring one down with me, but I couldn't fit it in with all the shit in the car. <laughs> Sorry, Ollie. And so... You were doing um, North Island Seasons as a sponsored rider. Who were some of the crew that you were riding with um, at this point? Well, once I got hooked up with Billabong, uh, that was a 2001, 2002-ish, uh, yeah, or 2000, 2001-ish, uh, ended up meeting Crosby Webb. Oh, um, shit, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, he's living overseas. Uh, 
now with his young family. So, yeah, he super good rider, loved hanging out with them, and he was uh, in the same team, so that was that was awesome. Billabong. Yeah, he was yeah, on right. Billabong as well. Uh, Sam, Sammy Willing. Uh, Sammy's been a uh, fuck-a-papa local for, fuck, I don't know, since they opened in 1840. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he'll love me saying that. Uh, so he lives in National Park. Uh, he's always been ripping, and he still does rip. Uh, and, yeah, so hanging out with them. Uh, yeah, and the Palmy Boys, uh, Jedi Crew, a big, you know, they've been coming and going for years. Mark Webber, he's always mm. floating around. Um, but, yeah, it, se- it seems to have died off. There's not mu- not many younger rippers that I've noticed in the in the last few years that I haven't really gone, wow, that's, that's amazing. Mm. Um I remember back in the day uh, teaching Benny, Benny Stewart when he was six, uh, and oh, having yeah. him come up, you know, because uh, his dad Ian, we were in the ski school together. Shit, he made quite a presence on the halfpipe scene. Yeah, super rad. Uh, yeah, like, didn't he make up some trick? Soggy like, Wolf. Soggy Wolf. Yeah. It's like a double McTwist alley oop something. Yeah, like the opposite of whatever Todd Richards one is. Yeah, I can't remember. You have to find the footage and break it apart. But no, super proud of Benny because he comes from, he was taught on Whakapapa and he comes from there. So so it was rad to see him do real well. Um, But yeah, I think he's over in Bali now, I think, surfing. Yeah, because he was always from Coromandel or something originally, I thought. Yeah, Wonga Whangamata area. And I think his mum and dad's still living in the mount. I caught up with Ian and Wendy recently. Uh, before we moved back to touring, so that was rad. Uh, I think the first, well, obviously the Hunt brothers, hanging out with those guys in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, quite a bit. Uh, Richie Hunt and Jimmy Hunt, mm. um, they were floating around Cooney National Park sort of area, riding Tudor and Whakapapa, uh, and Rosslyn Mitchell, obviously. Uh, the first time I met Rich and... Uh, Ross and Jimmy was when I was living in North Star in 98 and they had flown over and bought a car and were passing through Tahoe and heading to Mammoth for a spring because that's what they used to do is go to Mammoth for spring and so that's the first time I met those guys and so hung out with them for a little bit in Tahoe and then they came the following year they came back to uh, Ruapehu and had a season there so that's how I kind of got to Got to know them. Because they were a bit of an institution up there, eh? After oh, a while. without a doubt, like, yeah. Because, um, like, Russell and Mitchell, like, I just remember, first I heard of him was on, on the unit catalogue. I think he rode for unit for a hot minute. Yeah, right. And then um, seen this ins- uh, insurrection part, and was like, holy fuck. He's always guy. that good, though. That's the thing about Roscoe. He's always that good. Mm. Uh, and probably a little bit underrated in some levels, but, man, such, so good. Mm. So good, old Roscoe. And uh, Jimmy and Rich too, very good. Uh, I remember seeing Jimmy doing these frontside rodeos, like just monstrous, sending it like I'd never seen that before, ever. I was when they used to have like, was it Nitro had some quarter pipe comp up and yeah, maybe the, or yeah, the Springfest. I remember yeah. um, uh, another person I haven't mentioned yet is Conrad Cranfield. Uh, he was snowboarding at the time. He's skiing now though. Uh, he was doing a little bit of work with the Springfest and actually built this massive big hipper right down the bottom of the uh, the gut, which is on the Norwich T-Bar. 
and I remember we shaped that and rode it for quite a few weeks before the spring fest comp happened and I remember seeing you know Jimmy and Rich and those guys just sanding it off that thing it was mm. pretty rad there's actually some cool photos floating around from that hipper yeah I think they're in a couple of New Zealand snowboarder yeah I think Denny doing yeah. a, it's like this crazy sort of McTwist thing on it mm. yeah yeah and oh fuck Denny was fucking gnarly eh? oh like, man yes <laughs> he's had some rad him and Dills both mm. those guys uh, super inspiring because I'd never really seen them much down south and so whenever they used to come up for spring fest it was just like uh, you get to feast your eyes on all these different sort of snowboarders that would turn up yeah um, I guess that was maybe migration back to Auckland for a lot of them or back home yeah possibly so, uh, or maybe just ex- some of them maybe extending mm. their season a little bit longer some um, of the, was that a trip seeing Denny and Dill like in the flesh like holy fuck this is way gnarlier than yeah well not not way now oh you're definitely way gnarlier but uh just seeing it in the flesh as opposed to looking at it in a magazine because mm. you only ever really got the still shot um but yeah seeing them ride in the flesh is always a privilege uh yeah. even even today it's always good to see them <clears throat> see them ripping yeah and did you ever see christian philip kick around because he was a bit of a fixture up there too yeah right? uh he was more of on the cooney side right. he, he would be hanging out over there with leon edu uh a shout out to leon actually he's got a wounded wing at the moment uh oh what's he done oh uh, separated his shoulder or dislocated his oh, shoulder fuck. leon <laughs> what are you doing dude <laughs> um yeah so uh so yeah, they were living over in Cooney and they were riding two-door a bit and then uh, they would come over every now and then mm. uh, and hang at Papa, and I got to know them a little bit mm. through through that and there was yeah quite a few small comps that would happen on either side. Because I had trouble figuring out if Christian was a better skateboarder or a snowboarder. Like he's fucking amazing at like all of them. Like skate, snow, surf, right? Yeah, old Moose is just good at everything, mm. I think. So I remember reading somewhere that he won one of those... Or came third against like Omar Hassan and those dudes in like the ultimate border. Yeah. Same with like Skate Snow Surf comp. I like, remember him uh, for a while actually. I remember him, he had his eyes set on that and mm. uh, had planned to, you know, compete in that. Mm. Yeah, but super sick to see him do it and see him, you mm. know, get and that third. So were you kicking around with Leon a bit? Yeah, kicking around with Leon a bit uh, mm. up north and then he migrated down south uh, for a season. He was the other one in the interview issue that you guys all yes. broke through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frontside invert. Yes, that's yeah. right. On the box. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I I still trap on every time I go. I think I mentioned it in other episodes. Like, whenever I'm in Arrowtown, I have a look at that rail by the skate park. And be like, holy fuck, he did that. Like, no no shirt and just fucking powered it. I think we were hungover too. We would have been hungover because the rail jam was the night before. But you were there. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. And I think TJ won, uh, Tim Jackways won the rail jam. And I think we all got on the piss. And then we ended up driving back through Arrowtown. And Leon's like, get the shovel out. We're going to do it. And there was a bit of snow on the ground. Uh, but I remember him doing it. And I was just like, holy shit, bro. That's pretty gnarly. Mm. Wooden handrail. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, it was like 30 thousand stairs yeah Fuck. and i maybe that was the i know a bunch of the other crew did it later on but i don't know if anyone's gone back after that initial period no i'm not too sure i have seen some photos like of people doing it Coyer and jake yeah, Coyer and those yeah. dudes did it yeah and 
fuck, it's another name I'm forgetting, which, sorry, mystery writer. <laughs> <laughs> There's and, a funny story about Jake Coyer too, actually. Oh, well, He's going to fucking hate me for it. Oh, oh, let's hear it. Fucking Jake. I mean... Well, and uh, I think it was 2002, and we were living in Wanaka. I'd, I'd come to Wanaka for a season. as was 01 or 02, I can't remember. And uh, we were doing some filming with uh, Pylon Productions, which was Danny Jones and Hamish Schumacher. They wanted to put out a, uh, a snowboard film. Uh, and we were heading to Christchurch in the camper. They had organized a sponsorship deal with a, a camper company. And so they were living in the camper. They said, okay, boys, we're all going to go to uh, Christchurch. And then I think Jake Coy and Robert Hollis had organized a trip with us to go from Wanaka to Christchurch, and we we're going to drop them off there. Uh, not too sure what they're up to, but whatevs. Uh, so anyway, as all good road trips, uh, we end up drinking in the back of the camper. Uh, a few piss stops on the way, get to Ashburton. The next minute, all these empty cans start flying out the window, and there's a whole bunch of boy races. And I fucking vaguely remember Jake Coy sticking his head out the window, and we're leaving McDonald's drive-through car park, and he starts swearing at all these boy races. Next minute, we've got half a fucking Ashburton boy races chasing us past the camper, pull off into the side, and end up throwing this massive big rock. And there was this no shit, it was this huge rock, and I thought it had caved the door of the camper door in camper door swung open and we ended up shutting it and then when we got to where we were staying uh which we just parked up on the waterfront somewhere we jumped out and had a look at the door and there's this huge crack in the door and fuck it was yeah it was pretty funny pretty mm. funny times yeah because you're not really going to outrun boy racer cars are you <laughs> in the not in a fucking camper <laughs> and poor i think it was danny who was driving and he's just like sit down you motherfucker sit down sit down i think we're all yahooing and throwing shit out the window it's pretty funny so I mentioned you Wanaka, and you did a couple of seasons down there. What what was the draw down to Wanaka? Um, I think it was Snowpark. Uh, oh yeah. Once once someone had mentioned that Snowpark was going to open, and it was freestyle spe- specific sort of uh, um, you know terrain. I thought, oh yeah, that could be quite cool. And everyone was everyone was talking about it. it was the new hype. Uh, so I'd organised myself to come down to Wanaka for a season. Uh, shout out to Tort Lines actually she was our camp mother for that season oh yeah she kept our crew together I think it was me Tort uh, Leon Christian Phillip and then I think a girl Erin and maybe there was one other that was all staying uh, all staying in this one house uh, which was super rad it was freezing fucking cold uh, I remember it being super cold uh, but yeah, Tort kept us together as a as a pretty tight group, and she sort of camp mothered us around a little bit. Um, yeah, and I think it was Snow Park was really the was the draw. Mm. They had the T bar in. I don't think the T bar was going when I was here the, for that season, and I think uh, they had started to put the rails in, but you'd had to hike. So it was mm. like you know six hours of snowboarding, twelve hours of walking. Yes, yeah, so you put on a full eight hour shift. When yeah, you those days, eh? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and we wouldn't go there all the time. We'd ride carties a little bit. Uh, but yeah, when, when Snowpark was open and available, we'd be up there. Oh, it's amazing how much of an impact that place had like locally and internationally. Like, oh, huge. You know, I'll never forget going around that corner up to the car park and then you see it and you're like, holy, holy shit. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> no, no, it was big time. And then once, um, you know, once they started getting established and you're having some, you know, big teams mm. come over and film video parts here and, and, you know, you had Sean White here for that, that, for that period. Right, that had for the White album, yes. his video, yeah. And um, then, which is just phenomenal to see, you know, like for yeah. little old New Zealand to host that sort of stuff is so rad yeah. and then even with Travis Rice it's, that's it that's all his opening section's all snow park yes that's I'm right like, fuck like I mean could, probably couldn't get better marketing than that no <laughs> no no, not better marketing than that yeah it's, I mean it's fucking crazy like we, we were riding the other day at Cadrona we were having a look you know talk snow park came up like huh what's there <laughs> it's just not there anymore yeah just not there anymore <laughs> which is a shame actually mm. it, it would be hard well, actually, it would be good to imagine what snowboarding would be like if that was still going. Mm. You know, both both sides, Cadrona and Snow Park, having that competitive uh, sort oh, of approach to it. When I started working at Cadrona was when Snow Park sort of started coming up. And I remember, like, before Snow Park, Cadrona had the pipes in an OK park. Mm. Snow Park came along, and then there was just this leapfrog. Leapfrog of levels, But yep. then Remarks, too, that's park life and... And I think it's all down to snow park. Mm, pushing that level up. Yeah, totally, man. And yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, Mount Rupert got left behind in that little episode, <laughs> but that's, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day about half pipes. Like, and they were like, what, Mount had a half pipe? We're like, yeah, and Coronet had two. Had two, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Coronet had four. <laughs> Remarks had one too, actually. Yeah. Or even, yeah, Fuck Papa had one. They had a yeah. half-pipe cutter. I think they still got it stashed yeah. away somewhere. Like, fuck. And now it's just Kedona. Yeah. Fucking crazy. So we we just down here as a sponsored rider, or you sort of working? No, I wasn't or? working at all. Uh, I was down here as a sponsored rider. Uh, and basically for me, it was just like Snow Park was there. Uh, and, I, and and this is a quite an important part in in my story is actually uh, it's where I started to meet a whole bunch of various different people. Mm. I met Jar Harris and hung out with him. Um, there was a, a few of the Queenstown crew that were coming up. I mean, I remember hanging out with Logan Holt a little bit, Tim Jackways. I met Will Jackways down here, Leon Edu, Christian Phillip. There was quite a big. Mm. Uh, Jacob Burrows, you know all yeah. those guys. Mark Katzberg, Rowan Katzberg. Uh, so no, there was there was a huge uh, a huge group of us that were snowboarding at the time. I mean that's a heavy squad. You just left it, listed off, right? There. Yeah, yeah. And we weren't all riding together all at once, but you know there was opportunities to go out and do photo shoots. Like Phil Erickson would roll up and he'd say, right, we let's go build a jump out the back of Cardi somewhere. Mm. Uh, and then you know I went and did that with Jar and. Christian and and I think they went back the following day and did their own thing over the other side. It was, mm. yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a cool experience. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, towards the end of that or centre of that season, I decided that uh, the call for Ruapehu was quite strong, and I was like, man, I just know that when we get to September, October, springtime up there is on, and I had quite a few aspirations to get some photos done up there because uh, I hadn't seen too many in the mags and I remember talking to Phil Erickson about it saying man we need to get some more photos up here you know how can we do that who can I organize and all that sort of stuff so I remember heading back uh, and there were some people who were emailing me wanting to do oh, I can't remember what it was like a small television uh, program I can't remember what it was called but they did a little episode uh, up there after I got back which was all good uh, yeah, and then everybody slowly started coming back up after um, 
after Wintertown here for the Springfest. Mm. So I just left a little bit earlier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so it's just real period that power over you. Yeah, yeah, and it always does, man. I mean, coming down here, I love it down here. It's it's so rad. But then I also see photos like people. We've got this Facebook group of uh, a group that we went to Japan with just recently. And they're all from Aruapehu and they were just posting photos of the last couple of days of, you know, here I am <laughs> stuck inside with cabin fever and yeah. there that's like beautiful bluebird day up there. And I was like, oh, oh my man. God. I think it's because I know the place so well. Um, mm. I mean, anybody that comes from a local area like Coronet Peak, for example, people who know it well can ride mm. it well. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's always been home for me. So, yeah, mm. I love it. Oh, sweet. And... Did you end up travelling with a lot of this crew? Sort of, you mentioned like Logan Holt and Tim Jackways. Did they you end up bumping into them overseas? And yeah, I remember um, catching up with uh, TJ and those guys, uh, Dylan Ryan, and I think Haiti Mayan. And oh shit, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, yeah. Haiti Mayan. Well, yeah. funnily enough, I spent a year in Gizzy, and she was like just living down like where we had bought a house, just living down the road from us. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, so yeah, so now I caught up with them in Mammoth. I think the first time I was there with, with was doing some uh, snowboard instructing training to do my level three uh, with the with the USA program. Um, but yeah, first met them there. It was super rad meeting mm. Kiwis at a different resort. It was real rad. Oh, and then we'd keep going back every year. Um, go back to Tahoe the following year and then all of a sudden we'd end up going down to Mammoth for that sort of springtime again and catch up with them there again. Oh, sweet. Mm. So you didn't get to witness um, Dan Layden's facial injury then? No, I heard about it and I remember being in shock that, you know, something like that had happened. Yeah. Uh, But no, and I think I caught up with Dan another year or maybe two years after that had happened. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Hopefully TJ will remember when he comes on. Well, that sounds fucking gnarly, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. sounded gnarly, and I think mm. this—I I can't tell the story, but man, it sounds as though an instructor took his class across the landing of a jump. Dan landed and whacked straight into some students. Fuck! It's like my worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this—I think anyone you spend enough time in the snow, you've—you've you've had that moment where you're in the air and you seeing that thing coming towards you in the land like oh fuck oh fuck (laughs) either a rock or a person or whatever it is Mm. and um so how did um living with steve ferguson utah come about uh i caught up with them they came they actually came over in 2003 or whenever they felt when casey loader filmed uh insurrection was it oh yeah so that came out in 02 yeah in 02 yeah. so it must have been 01 they um or the season of 0102 uh they had traveled from utah to tahoe to catch up with i think richard hunt was living there uh and i was living down in south shore and they had come over to do some filming uh i caught up with a photographer friend of mine uh james cole and he actually had a house on the edge of i think it was the Truckee river and he had this huge hip and a couple of rails set up and so i'd organized to take them there so they could do some filming and then we went up to heavenly and did a couple of little bits and pieces up there and then while they were there casey said oh uh if you can make it over to utah we're going to be doing some filming over there so i remember flying in him picking me up and then dropping me off and staying in an apartment with uh i think it was roston mitchell Steve Ferguson, Mark Hetzberg, I think, was living there. 
and there was a couple of others. I think uh, Dave O'Brien rolled in just as I was a few days out from leaving. I think I was there for two or three weeks, maybe. Oh, so and you ended up getting some shots in insurrection. Yeah, yeah, a couple of shots in insurrection. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was cool to be over in Utah. Um, so yeah. how was that riding with? Well, let's let's focus on Steve Ferguson for a bit because that was at almost the height of his infamy, right? And yeah, that dude's a freak, actually. Uh, yeah, so good at snowboarding. Yeah, um, and. Real consi- like consistent to watch, uh, has some really great values uh, for the way that he wants to video his parts, mm. uh, without a doubt. And I think uh, Mark Katzberg was talking about uh, this thing about how they don't hit rails that skateboarders can hit. Yeah, like that's their whole that's their whole mantra and their mindset, which you know I can totally understand. Uh, and I've fallen victim to that. You know, doing a rail that a skateboarder's hit and everyone's giving me shit about it, and I've just been like, "Oh well, fuck it. <laughs> Who cares?" Yeah. I don't really. It doesn't really phase me that sort of stuff. But those guys, you know, Steve was real focused. He's real precise, and uh, yeah, good to hang out with. And he's exactly, you know, he's consistent mm. in all all the things he does. So I haven't actually seen him in a long time. He sort of just fell off, and yeah, sort of as soon as he was done with snowboarding, sort of that was the last anyone. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, I haven't seen him snowboard since, or I haven't heard of him snowboarding yeah, since. As so. an outsider looking in, there, it's like, yeah. whoa, where did he go? He's just pieced out at the top of his game. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's yeah, he's the same. He's the same areas, you know, mm. all the time. Sh- yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a lot of Steve Ferguson stories out there. One of my funny favorite moments was when he stole the microphone off one of the um, Pulsate girls, I think it was, that was at the Wanaka Big Air and out in the valley. Oh no. And, I don't know who was sponsoring it, but they had like this media crew that was like running around with mics. Just, just remember hearing this. Give me that. <laughs> it was Steve. He grabbed the grabbed mic, the mic and off ran off and started ranting. I don't know what. <laughs> I know random he, shit. <laughs> he start. He started out giving out shout outs to the Iris crew, and then, <laughs> and then I don't know where it went from there, but it was fucking awesome. Just kept going. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, that's right. So, Fuck, so you're riding with Mark Katzberg and those dudes as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first time I'd ever been to Utah. Uh, uh, had done some, some concentrated sort of riding, like building jumps and all that sort of stuff. So that was cool to hang out with those that crew and mm. uh, sort of get a bit of an insight as to what Casey was trying to, um, trying to do. So that was cool. Mm. Um, he uh, probably put up with a whole bunch of shit from all of us, actually. Carting yeah. us around and stopping here and there and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no, shout out to Casey. And you do much travelling with snowboarding outside of um, the states? Uh, no, it was mainly Tahoe, uh, backwards and forwards, and then just recently, actually, was uh, my first trip to Japan. Uh, I turned forty in two thousand nineteen, uh, and then to celebrate my fortieth birthday, I ended up uh, getting a big group of us together, which ended up turning into a small group, mm. um, which was even better. And we hit Japan, we went to Miyoko Kogan. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and that was on the advice of uh, one of the Jedi crew boy. He sent us there and came with us as our sort of guide. And uh, lucky enough to get a couple of good powder days in, which was so good. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but no, nah, definitely the hooks are in for Japan and I'm definitely keen to go back. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm so surprised I haven't been there before um, for snowboarding. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've I've never really had good luck with the um, Honshu Island. Every time I've gone there, it's been like the um, the blue sky, no snow, weather window. Yeah, yeah, weather. yeah. And it's always been like once I got up to Hokkaido, it's been like, oh, there we go. Yeah. No, well, that was the same for us when we got there first couple of days. We had a little bit of fresh, and then it was just bluebird, springy, and I was thinking, oh my god, what have I got myself into? And then yeah, the clouds came in, and it was on. <laughs> Sweet. Um. We're going to rewind the tape a bit because there's something I forgot to ask you about, but Matt Dalman. Yeah, Matty Dalman. Um, I know Matty Dalman through various different uh, avenues. My first time encountering Matty Dalman was uh, as an instructor. Mm. He taught me how to teach beginners, basically. Um, and he was an instructor up at Ruapehu when I was training. Uh, super, super nice guy, super rad rider. Uh, definitely a huge influence in, in how I saw stuff. Um, not only that, but uh, his mum was working up there as well. Uh, Maddie's originally from Tomaranui. He's Ngāti Tuwhiritō, just like myself, so it was someone I could quite re- you know, easily relate to. He, after snowboarding, he actually left uh, and then got his fine arts degree and is now actually... Uh, you know, doing a fine arts, teaching fine arts up in Auckland. Oh, right. Uh, and I had a, had the privilege of working for Tauranga Art Gallery when he came through and he ended up getting a show at Tauranga Art Gallery. So it was, you know, it was really cool to reconnect with Matty. Mm. Uh, super talented artist, super talented snowboarder, uh, and probably one of the biggest collectors of Libtech and GNU that I, yeah. <laughs> I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's how I come across him, mate. I was like, I've been there up buying one of his old boards. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I used to write one. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I remember him always having Lib and GNU, and uh, man, I'd love to see his collection. I know mm. he's probably got them. Mm. So is he based in Auckland these days? Yeah, yeah, based yeah. in Auckland, yep. Yeah. Oh. Are we roadie up there? Like, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I try to catch up with him, because he comes down, uh, well, not... Not in level three or level four lockdown, uh, poor Maddie. But uh, every time he comes down, we always try to catch up and go riding. Mm. Uh, um, yeah, so no, it's good dude. Well, what was it that sort of ended up um, having you leaving the snowboard industry? Um, I just come to think of it now. My last trip to Tahoe, I had a couple of years off, two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand five, and six. I went back. Uh, and I was a little bit sort of not really burnt out. It's, it's hard to say burnt out. I don't think the motivation for me to go snowboarding was actually there. Uh, I felt as though that there was a whole stack of opinions starting to pop up, uh, which used to frustrate me. Opinions on? Uh, whether I should be competing or maybe I should be doing more competitions or... Uh, why aren't you here when I need you to be here for for example like for photo shoots or oh, right. whatever and um, this is from sponsors and stuff no or? not so much from sponsors it was more from other peers mm. uh, and then because I was still teaching a little bit and not hard out teaching but because I was still teaching a little bit all the instructors would feel frustrated that uh, how come you get special preference over us uh, you think you're so fucking good but you're not all that sort of stuff oh, and for right. me I was yeah. just like I don't really give a fuck. I'm, mm. All I really want to do is snowboard and have fun. Mm. Uh, and I kind of lost that a little bit. So um, they were essentially reflecting their insecurities onto you? Uh, I don't know if it was what? reflecting insecurities. I think it was reflecting some frustration. Oh, right. uh, and then I would reflect frustration back because uh, 
because I knew in my heart of hearts that the the fun of it had gone and I was just trying to make ends meet to get to another spot to think that I was going to have fun there and then all of a sudden it was like oh something would blow out I'd hurt myself or things didn't quite align and then I'd get frustrated and then I'd be like oh fuck this I'm going to go back to wherever I was supposed to be over here and it was just a lot of toing and froing uh, and I also was getting a little bit sick of traveling uh, probably not so much I was sick of being broke all the time yeah uh, and I thought to myself well maybe it's time to settle down a little bit and mm. think about what I should you know be doing um, yeah so that's that's really what sort of sent me sent me away from snowboarding and I knew that I just wanted to take take a bit of a break get it refreshing you know you know take a break and next time I do it might refresh. You know, the love mm. of it again. That's so cool. I remember being so fizzing on it that it was like the the one thing that I always wanted to do. Mm. And then at that point in time, it was just like, nah, I just can't be fucked. I didn't even, you know, Bluebird days, I was like, nah, I don't even. So was there a, um, like a few years where you were just off your board completely? Yeah, something? I think uh put my board away in 2006, sold everything. Um, 2006... 2007 probably did two days out of those two years uh and still had a stack of people saying you're you're a dick you're a dick you you don't know what you're doing i was just like you know these are some of my closest friends not all of them but some some of my friends you know were really frustrated with me that i'd just given it up uh and for me if i wasn't having fun i wasn't going to do it Mm. so why would i keep doing it trying to you know keep everybody else happy sort of thing so it's also like the new zealand snow industry is not that big anyway so you sort of mm. you're trying to milk something that you're not really going to get paid heaps for it or yeah and, and i think I, I remember frustrating john graham actually because he left atlantis or atlantis had wound up he had left atlantis and gone to rome and then he became the north cow rep for rome and he introduced me to the guys that started rome and he was like you know, I, I really, I, I put in a real good word for you. Uh, I met them. I was sort of umming and ahhing. And then I just thought, you know what? I just can't, like for me, I just don't feel like it fits. Mm. Uh, Rome's super sick brand by all means, but I just didn't want to jump from one, you know, brand to the next. And uh, it was, yeah, just yeah. didn't really suit what I was after. So yeah, it was just when it's time, it's time. So. Yeah, yeah. When it's time, it's yeah. time. Uh, really enjoyed the time away, uh, made me reflect on a whole bunch of stuff and uh, inspirations of why I even wanted to go snowboarding in the first place. Uh, I think going back to Ruapehu and spending uh, or calling that place home has always re-inspired me because there's no expectations up there for me. Mm. I know I can go there, I know the place like the back of my hand, I can you know, mm. turn up, see my friends and they'd treat me exactly the same. Um, so yeah, so uh, 2007 didn't really snowboard, 2008 didn't really snowboard. <laughs> so where did life go after snowboarding for you? Um, it went in several different directions. I did a building apprenticeship in Christchurch, uh, nearly finished that, ended up being an a, a exhibitions technician in Tauranga Art Gallery. Uh, and that got me to Tauranga, and then after I left there, I was there for quite some time, after I left there... Uh, I started work in shipping and logistics for forestry on the port of Tauranga. Aye. Uh, started off at the very, very bottom as a casual worker, ended up working my way all the way to uh, 
operations manager for um, for an operation in Gisborne. And yeah, and then more recently in the last three years, got back into forestry itself and now the forest operations manager for uh, for a forest trust in, in Tūrangi Taupo region. So it's been awesome. Oh, sweet. So what's involved with what you're doing with the forestry now? Uh, mainly forest advisory work if you could call it that, there's quite a raft of things that sort of sit in between forestry and uh, Māori Land Trust, who I work for. Um, and so you sort of have to advise them on what the best route for the following year or how the report was for the previous year and what you're selling, planting, pruning, all that sort of stuff. So it's broad, mm. you know, forestry advice. Right. Um, and as I said, are you the go-between between the forestry companies and the iwi? Yeah, yeah, basically. Right, and, so... Yeah. If the forester wants to cut up some land or whatever, you go like, well, this area is sacred, so you can't, or these sort of things. Or? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of uh, policies and processes that are in place for that sort of stuff, and it's not about uh, forestry companies wanting to come in and plant. It's more about maintaining and managing the stuff that we've already got. Mm. Um, and so it's just making sure that we're on track for what we need to do. We advise the trust in, in a way that they can understand it. And making sure that the forest management company sticks to all the processes and policies that we have in place. That's all, you know, significant sites, making sure people have access, all that sort of stuff. So, oh, sweet. Yeah, it's interesting, real interesting. Yeah, and um, so be a bit of job satisfaction with that? Uh, yeah, it can of? be difficult. Uh, it can be difficult because I worry that uh, a decision that the trust has made is re- directly reflected on myself. So, mm. uh, so I've just got to, I just manage it. Mm. It can be can be a little bit tricky, but no, super yeah. super fun job. Oh, sweet, yeah, oh, cool. And um, I think maybe two years ago, I started seeing this um, this uh, brand pop up called Ehi, which I didn't know much about. A Dylan Butt had a pair of goggles that said Ehi, and uh, lo and behold, it was your reintroduction back into the snow community. Do you want to talk tell us a bit about what Ehi is? Yeah, well. Uh, would have been late 2009, 2010-ish. Uh, I wanted to come back to snowboarding, but I didn't want to snowboard as much as what I was before. I wanted to try and give something back. Uh, and I've seen in previous years, or all throughout snowboarding, I've seen New Zealand brands come and go and start and finish. And I wanted to create a New Zealand brand. And then I also wanted to connect some of the culture for for who I am with the brand itself. Mm. And so ihi is the Māori word for the force or balance or willpower or, you know, however you use it. Uh, So that's the Māori word ihi. Uh, I ended up designing the logo myself. uh, And then I've always, for for the past 10 years, I've always wanted to do goggles. Uh, I love this. So why was that with the goggles? Uh, because I don't think it's been done in New Zealand yet. Mm. Uh, I think it's a fresh perspective on... Uh, uh, I, I see goggle brands these days be quite disconnected with uh, with the culture of snowboarding, and I sort of wanted to tighten that up a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, you see some of the bigger ones, they're also motocross and all these other things as well. Yeah, motocross and stuff like that as well, but... Uh, when you think about how or, or where they've started and the stories, uh, you know, some of those bigger brands have distribution companies which are spread throughout the world. 
New Zealand used to have a, a specific distribution company for some of these, and then now they've been taken to Aussie, and you sort of see the disconnect of, of you know, the core for New Zealand. Uh, well, that's that's my thinking anyway. But mm. the the hard part about that is, uh, for me, I see New Zealand snowboarding in so many different genres now, mm. um, and so although he might not fit with somebody who's hardcore competitive wanting to go to the Olympics, there may be somebody out there that's right into splitboarding that it fits for them. Mm. Uh, but that's not to say that um, it doesn't fit for everybody. Um, but for me, it's it's been a long term plan. I've really wanted to. Uh, hit the nail on the head the first time around and it's a slow burn so it's going to be with me and out there for for, for I hope forever mm. uh, and it may get really big it may not I have real no expectations but I do know that the path's already started I've already started that journey so mm. I'm just going to keep it going and so over. yeah so I only became aware a year or two ago so the goggles have actually been around for quite a bit longer uh, no no the idea of the goggles oh, has right. but the but making getting the goggles made and in New Zealand has probably just in the so last two years. Where is, can you walk us through like how the the process of getting goggles made? And wow, like, a lot of emails. A lot of emails. <laughs> like where where are your goggles made? Uh, my goggles are made in China at the moment. Oh yeah. Uh, I've got massive aspirations to try and get them made in New Zealand. Uh, but that's that slow burn for me. Mm. Uh, I want to be able to have some which are recyclable at some stage. Uh, I've talked to various different people about 3D printing some versions of it. I've looked at, uh, not not to say that sustainable is always the way, but uh, to get the ball rolling, I've, I've gone to China first, uh, build some really good relationships over there with uh, manufacturing and then also shipping and logistics. Mm. Uh, that's been a huge learning curve for me and I think that's probably why it's taken so long is just sort of trying to suss out how that all fits and, together and ties in and say with say the frame shapes and all that that's all so you don't go to a factory and you're like well you can pick A, B and C like the, the shapes are all coming from you and no well I, not yet but there there is some stuff that's on in the works at the moment that we're talking to various different uh, manufacturers about for me right now it's about making sure that uh I give a little bit back, uh, making sure that uh, it's easy to handle because it's just me doing yeah. it at the moment. So it's easy to handle. And also my wife, Carissa, she, she helps out with some of the social media stuff and she's been super into it. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just it's just right where it needs to be right now. And I think that it's starting to, well, a lot of people have talked to me about it and said, shit, that's actually pretty cool. Mm. And if you can use the word, he is the logo, which is what I've done. It sort of starts to normalise it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And you've got a pretty um, what infamous crew rocking them at the moment. I don't know if infamous is. You got a heavy crew rocking them. Yeah. Well, I just so. the way that I thought about it is I thought uh, well I reached out to Dylan Butt first because I knew he'd been doing a whole bunch of stuff, uh, you know, in his previous jobs with Huffer and. Uh, not only that, but also being an inspiration in snowboarding in general, he would mm. know what a good goggle looked like or what it felt like. Mm. Uh, so I reached out to him. Uh, he's actually long-time family friends with my wife as well. So uh, so I've known Dills for quite a long time. Uh, and I sent him a pair. Ollie Burke got a pair. I thought, to, I thought to myself when I sent a pair to Ollie, I was like, 
what's this going to look like with blood stains on it? <laughs> <laughs> like my t-shirt at the mosh pit at uh, Deja Vu and the Bleeders at Paddy's in 04. Uh, always, always associate Ollie with a yeah. bit of blood. Yeah. And a bit of carnage. The, half the mosh pit left with his blood on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got Ollie a pair, Brent. Uh, I actually gave Brent a pair of different goggles that he's got now. And I said to him, look, if they don't work out, please let me know. And he didn't say anything for ages until I came down last year. And he said, oh, actually, they don't fit me. And I'm like, oh, should have another pair. He's like, oh, are you sure? Are you sure? I said, yeah, of course. And my whole idea at the moment is instead of spending a whole stack of money on uh, on you know marketing and trying to you know get the brand out there, it's to start right from the beginning for me. And those guys have always been an inspiration. And mm. I, reached, I reached out to Abby uh and said, do you guys want to try a pair? Well, she actually said, yeah, I saw deals with a pair that look real rad. And I said, well, I'll send you a couple. Well, these are all people that have actually, like, you sort of think about it, like, Dill, Huffer, Brent, Mad Wax, yeah. Abby and Will, Explore What. They're yeah. all people that have started their own brands to some, or been either started or been involved been with involved. big, like, decent brands in the industry. And so yeah. It's kind of a... Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, Danny Two Chains from uh, Gifted. Uh, shout out to Danny. Oh He's, shit, Gifted. Yeah, you got to get him on, man. He'll be he'll be cool to talk to. Oh, if you ever listen, Danny Two Chains, you are more than welcome. Yeah. So uh, so I got him a pair. He bought a pair of goggles, and I we ended up losing them in the post. So I sent him another pair. Mm. Uh, I think Logan's got a pair. So yeah, it's it's cool to mm. see them out there, and yeah, I think that's right where it needs to be for right mm. now. Rad. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty funny. Like, Brent's got to be, to bring it back to Brent, he's got to be the biggest frother out there. Like, 48 and still filming his own <laughs> video parts and shit. Yeah. He's definitely got to be one of the oldest dudes to ever do the cat track at TC. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he that... did it when he was 46 or some shit. Holy hell. <laughs> shit, I'm only 43. I have to step my game up, man. Yeah, yeah. And, um,. Oh man! Oh, that's so cool, and it's good. Yeah, a good crew rocking them. because yeah. uh, really, a brand's as good as the people that rock it, right? Like, yeah, and you got to, and I suppose uh, it's, there's no point me just going out and, and sponsoring a whole team and approaching people and saying, "Oh, I think you need to ride these." And mm. and I'm very respectful of some of the goggle companies that are out there now and their teams, and and that's fine. You know, that's totally mm. fine by me. Uh, I'll, I'll find a way to jimmy around that one no no sweat mm. yeah because i guess it's it's a uh, sort of remind me then of um remember that kirkland you used to make plague snowboards yes you just remind me of something he said about like well there's no way i can compete with made in china ride boards but i'll just make my boards for the people that want them mm-hmm. and it's would that sort of be a similar ethos with you of like, yeah i think once i get the uh once I start getting a mold, like if I got my own mold made, mm. the thing is, is that the, whatever mold you get made and whatever shape you have, it's got to stay relevant for a period of time. Mm. Uh, and so we're going into the third year for some of the frames that I've got, and then uh, I'm really sort of looking at what the next frame's going to be, and can I hold that frame for a period of time? Mm. Um, so yeah, it, it will get expensive at one point uh, for the outlay, but it's just the subtle changes. I'd love to just make stuff here. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that, that comes that comes with uh, with progress. So if people are interested in Ehe goggles, how can they get a hold of them? Well, we had a, uh, we've got a website uh, at the moment. It's called ehesyndicate.com. Um, and we're because I'm down south at the moment because I'm the warehouse manager, the marketing <laughs> manager, distribution manager. 
uh, I'm also the office bitch and coffee man. Uh, we've had to pull the website down uh, while we're down here. But um, but like I say to people, we've sold a few pairs over in Queenstown just on our last trip. People reaching out. You can get us through Instagram uh, if the website's down or you can email us through the website once that's back up. We'll be back up north on the 3rd of October. So, yeah. That's we'll sweet. be back up and running again. And unfortunately, Mist um, won't be around for the competition uh, that you help sponsor. Yeah, yeah, Mad Dog. What a legend. Mm. Um, uh, that opportunity came up. Mad Dog reached out and said, would you be interested in sponsoring uh, the Mini Pipe Jam? And I'd seen the Mini Pipe Jam for, qu- for quite a few years, and I thought, man, what a cool core event core brand core event i'd love to love to hook mad dog up so yeah we're, this is our second year now sponsoring it uh so we give mad dog some product and uh yeah so all the prizes this year are uh, dylan butt and ollie burke's legends never die strap on oh, the yeah. on the tour goggles so <laughs> so that should be good it should get the the masses frothing mm, yeah and sort of bringing back the sort of grassroots gathering yeah, and I think those events are important, man. You know, you look at some of the events today, which are huge, you know, big events, uh, to have something which is grassroots that everybody mm. can turn up to and be together all at the same level is, mm. uh, I think it's important. I think we need more of it. Mm. So uh, I think you've got the mini pipe here. And unfortunately, it was cancelled this year, but uh, Quest and LibTech do the Bank Slalom in Queensland. The banks, yeah, that's a cool one too. Yeah, yeah. Have you been to that one? I've been to it once. Fucking yeah. carnage, eh? It's carnage, like. yeah. <laughs> but if you love carnage, if it's you love place carnage, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, sweet. And um, <clears throat> what's your thoughts on snowboarding today? Um, snowboarding today is intriguing. I, I find it really intriguing. Like I've mentioned before, there's so many different sub genres, sub genres. Uh, uh, people may think, oh fuck, he doesn't know what he's on about. But you know, you've got somebody who loves to go splitboarding in the backcountry that can ride a snowboard. You've got somebody who rides park all day. Mm. Uh, you got somebody that's just in it to compete. You got people who want to go to the Olympics, and that's their main focus. Uh, you got people who just want a free ride. So it's you know, it's so diverse. Mm. It's, it's a bit different to like back in the day when everyone wore baggy pants and listened to no FX. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally, yeah. totally. And if you were good at you know snowboarding, you had to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the sort of era that I grew up in. And yeah, I think and I think it's it's cool to have subgenres and genres of snowboarding, and uh, it's it's good to see it. I mean, the park at Cardi's is always impressive to watch. Mm. Um, so yeah, no, I, th- I think it's in a good space, especially New Zealand snowboarding. It's in a it's in a mm. great space. Sort of a bit of something to re- for everyone these days. Yeah, a bit of something for everyone. Mm. Um, yeah, as long as it's looked after and yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. And uh, is there some up and coming shredders that have caught your attention or anything? Um, we've started sponsoring, or not sponsoring really. Uh, we're thinking about putting together a team, so we're uh, flying a few pairs of goggles to Kyron Hanna. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he's part of the Platinum crew, the AJ. Uh, oh, he's been shredding, eh? Yeah, well, yeah, all those boys have been shredding, man. It's mm. so impressive. Mm. Uh, so good to watch. So, yeah, I've, I've definitely got my eye on Kyron. Uh, met him the other day for the first time with his dad Barry uh, super nice kid and I wish him all the best for the future and yeah and try and keep him with here for as long as we can Sick. but he is for the people yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, cool man yeah and do you have any advice for aspire, aspiring I'm going to redo that one sorry <laughs> do you have any advice for aspiring shredders uh, 
Yeah, keep it fun. If it ain't fun, don't do it. Totally, eh? Yeah. 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 That's, that's probably the biggest piece of advice that I have. Mm. Uh, yeah, because sometimes you can get stuck in the in the over-focus rut. And, yeah, keep it fun. Yeah. Oh, that's um, that's our notes done. Pat, is there some thank yous and shout-outs you'd like to give out? Um, I'd like to thank my dad. He passed away in 2004. Uh, he was a huge inspiration for me in my snowboarding. He was very uh, patient with me. And he kept the motivation real. Mm. So, yeah, I'd like to shout out to him. Uh, Rest in peace, Dad. Uh, My mother, of course, and my sister. My wife, Carissa, for putting up with uh, uh, all my snowboard antics. Uh, And my kids. And then all my friends, uh, past, present, and also in the future. Uh, Thank you all for, for helping me out. And thank you all for snowboarding. And, yeah. Sweet. That's roughly about it. Oh, cool. Well, uh, we'll keep it very broad, Tony. You, yeah, don't, yeah. Want to, you don't want to single anyone out. <laughs> then, then you get a whole lot of what the fucks. Yeah, yeah. Well, you missed me, bro. You missed me. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're all into stock enders. Um, if you listen, you know the drill. Favorite rider? Oh, does it have to be one, or can I choose two? Oh, you can choose two. Yeah. I am going to say Dave Downing. Yeah, he was an all-terrain beast, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a real cool story. I haven't actually listened. He was on the bomb hole recently, and I haven't actually listened to that uh, episode yet, but I'm really excited to. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it, eh? Yeah, Yeah, Dave Downing, definitely, for me, is one of my faves. Or the fave. Sweet. Who is the other? Uh, I think Jamie Lynn has always got to have a mention in there. He would be in my top three, without a doubt. Uh, And probably Brian Aguchi would be up there as well. Sick. Yeah. Right. Favorite mountain. I feel like I'm gonna know this one. <laughs> well, no, Mount Ruapehu. Uh, Papa Mount Ruapehu is my favorite mountain. Yeah. Without a doubt. Uh, yeah. Cool. Favorite board. Favorite board that I've had in the past. One. Or favorite board that I have now. Let's go both. Okay. Favorite board I had in the past was the Katie Gyrator. I <laughs> see. Yeah. <laughs> Favourite board that I have now is probably uh, the Solomon Assassin. So. Uh, Dills hooked me up on that one. Uh, 163 wide. Oh, nice. It's a big boy. Yep. Yeah. You know, K2 redid the gyrator a few years back, eh? Yeah, I saw yeah. that. I was like, oh, no way. That's, yeah. Same sort yeah. of, same, similar sort of graphic, too. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, Favourite video part? Uh, I'd have to say Kevin Jones' technical difficulties. That was uh, groundbreaking for me watching that mm. stuff. Without a doubt. Favourite gig? Uh, tossed up between Slayer at Town Hall in Auckland or oh, Metallica. You got to see Slayer? Yeah. Oh, man. That was so sick. I, don't, I can't remember how old I was. 14 or 15? I was quite young. Uh, and then the Eel or Metallica when they brought out the Black Album. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. At their height, eh? 92, I think that was. Fuck. My dad took me to that one. Uh, yeah, I have to say Metallica. Mm, I'd yep. love to have seen Slayer. Like, I would actually have the ticket from the gig that never happened. Oh, really? Because of oh, what happened up there. Gutted. Yeah, but then I can't really cry, feel sorry for myself when what happened up there was way fucking worse. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, favorite city? Favorite city? Uh, I don't go to Christchurch currently at the moment. 
I think what they're doing there is pretty cool. It's going to be a city of the future. Hmm. Yeah, we rolled through there earlier last week, and man, real impressed. Yeah. Real impressed with what they're doing there post earthquake. It's primo. Man, it was weird going there after the earthquake. Like everything I knew, I, I actually got lost. Like all my landmarks were gone. Yeah, right? gone. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Man. Favorite trick. Favorite trick. Uh, I'm going to have to say a cab five. That's nice. my favorite trick. Oh, sweet. They feel so good. Yeah. Uh, favorite board graphic. Favorite board graphic. Um, oh, that's a tough one. There's so many. Mm, throws a few people this one. Yeah, I'm going to have to shout out to uh, Rhino when, because Rhino's recently did a strap for us for Ihi, and he actually designed some boards for Lib, uh, did some graphics for LibTech. Oh, so I'm going to have to say the Travis Ross Pro model that he did for them. Oh, That's one of my favourite graphics. Yeah. There's so many, man. It's, yeah, but that one. Shout mm. out to Rhino for that one. Oh, cool. Uh, who has the best method? <sighs> Jamie Lynn, without a doubt, man. Yeah. How can you get a... How can, yeah, how can you compare that one? Uh, I don't know. You see some great ones every now and then. Mm. No, Jamie Lynn. I mean, that dude's pretty renowned for one of the greatest day eh? yeah one of the greatest so and final bonus question what's the key to a good method oh the key to a good method <laughs> uh don't do up your bindings too tight <laughs> that's the that's the key uh yeah I think just don't do it with bindings too tight. <laughs> <laughs> Have loose bindings. Yeah, did you hear JJ's story about that? Oh, vague. I've, I think I've... No, because I'm partway through his one at the oh, moment. Oh, right. Well, he, he talks about that at the end. But this one day where the bindings were a little too loose. Oh, and his foot popped out. Oh, I'll, I'll leave it to... Oh, wow. But maybe not that bad, but that was definitely an oh shit moment. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, no, loose bindings. You've got to have loose bindings to mm. give it a good whack. Mm. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's us then. Yeah. Cool. Oh, man, well, thank you so much for your time, Pat. And um, bummer we won't be seeing you at the Mini Pipe Champs this year, but there's always next year. Yeah, there is always next year. And uh, I just wanted to say a massive thanks to you, Tony, for this podcast. It's oh, it's such a such a privilege to be here sitting with, with you and also knowing how many other people have sat in this room and... Yeah, keep up the good work, my man. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah.